This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome, and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain, and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. <laughs> anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care, so don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So Abby, why now? Why is this over? Why are you ending this? I mean, why not? It's been 30 years. I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy. Um, um, I'm closed, you know, like I have, I have this sense of closure that I'm content with, you know what I mean? And I think that as a pro athlete, you got to know when it's time to, to hang up your boots. And for me, um, I probably have been feeling this for a pretty long while, but without that world cup, it's been hard. It's been hard to walk away. When you say pretty long while, like how long are we talking? Um, I would say... I would say probably about two years. It's been it's been a bit of a struggle. I've been I've been struggling with just not you know your body gets older, your 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 you slow down, your passions start to change, and that you know doing the same thing over and over and over again becomes a little bit old. But the reality is, is not having won that World Cup was like the only thing that kind of like kept me coming back and and kept that fire is still lit inside me and um you know and of course as you get older you you slow down and um you know you got all these young kids that are just you know nipping at your heels and all they want to do is take your spot and score as many goals as you have and have all the the things that you've been able to do and and, and the things that you've earned throughout your life but the reality is is um you know they have an entire career that they need to go through to get to, to where I'm at. But I'm connect. I'm happy. You know, I'm, I'm finally in New Orleans. My, my family's here. 
um, you know, it's going to be an amazing night. I'm, I'm really excited. You said you've been playing for 30 years. When, when did you think you could actually do this? Or do you, do you not even realize that it just kind of keeps going, keeps going. All of a sudden you're in college. Oh wait, I should keep going. Or was there a time when you were like seven, eight, nine, we were like, I can do this. Well, I mean, there was really like nothing to look up to, you know, like that's, that's what I think is so valuable about where I've been able to go throughout my career. Um, I just kind of have let it like evolve in, in an, an organic way. And, you know, I think that nowadays, you know, some of those kids out there that are looking up and they see us in a position maybe to do what they want to do and be what they want to be. Um, I think that's, 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 that value is, is priceless. And, and, you know, I didn't have that growing up. I didn't have that ability to look up, you know, I, one of my idols was like Michael Jordan, you know, until I got into high school when, the national team kind of got in a little bit more recognition. And then of course in college when they won in 99, um, I was able to look up to, to Mia and, and Julie Foudy and Christine Lilly and all those women that, but that was, you know, pretty late, you know, like if I was five, six, seven, eight years old to look up and see somebody doing what I would want to do, or even that, like what I could possibly do, um, like when I was five and six, that wasn't even an option. So it was really literally just a dream. Uh, and to have it come to fruition is just, it's been a pleasure. It's been the, my honor, you know, people are like, gosh, thank you so much for everything you've done for the USA. And I'm like, well, I mean, let's be honest. Like I'm the one that's been honored and, and has had all the pleasure being able to do it. Yeah, that 99 team was the breakthrough team. That's been covered a million times. But your career has basically spanned, I don't know, this whole century. Do you feel, could you feel it even as the century was going along, like more and more girls between, I don't know, five and 18 just coming up to you day after day? Did you feel like you were becoming more famous as that century went along? Yeah, I think that, I think that the fame thing really took off in 2011. Yeah, you know, 2011 was kind of you know that that the barrier breaker for this specific team because you know 99 was hu a huge deal and Mia obviously was the face of that team and, and and rightfully so because she's not only you know one of the most prolific goal scorers that this game has ever seen but what people don't know the most about her is she's really one of the best soccer minds that I've ever had the opportunity of playing with. So for me, after that 2011 goal that that happened um you know most people think that we won the world cup mm. because of that goal against brazil but we didn't you know and and the irony i think in the whole situation is coming home and feeling like we actually made this huge positive change we came home more more famous more popular um and in fact we didn't even win it was just because of the way that we won in, in that quarterfinal match um wasn't even the the semifinal it was just a quarterfinal match. And, yeah. uh, and I think that that's not something that's been, uh, that I'm really proud of because, you know, having the opportunity to, to play for my country is one thing, but then, you know, when a 15 year old boy comes up to me and, and, and shakes my hand and says, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be a women's professional soccer player and play in the world cup. 
And, you know, I think that that's something that, like, kind of transcends sport. Because for a 15-year-old boy to say that, you know, it just means that us girls, we win, and that's what they, you know, they love the fact that we win, and, the you know, 35-year-old dads are excited and running around the house after that goal goes in. Right. We did a podcast, I think, in March, you, me, and Alex Morgan, and then a few, four months later, you guys won the World Cup, and most watched soccer match in history. And you, the whole team was like a bunch of rock stars after that. You especially, I, I saw you at the ESPYs and you were, you know, there were a lot of celebrities at this party we were at and you were probably one of the biggest. Did, when you guys came back, just let's talk about how was your life different? Did, did you feel like there was a different kind of spotlight on you? Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's really interesting. Um, especially when you go to like, CSDs or, or like glamour or, you know, I, I was able to go to time 100 dinner and, and to see some people that you've, you've watched, whether it's through movies or sports or whatever it is to have, um, to have an admiration for what you do, what you've done for, for our country. Um, there is something, some really special about that, you know, and, you know, when you walk the red carpet of the SDs and you see all these big-time NFL players or big-time NBA guys, like, yo, dude, that's Carly Lloyd. Like, right. do you see how sick she had in that final game? And, 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 and for me, I love that because that just means that, that we're not seen as just women soccer players. Like, we're seen as soccer players. And right. that's, that's, that's the whole point. And that's 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 what gets me so fired up, is because we as athletes play, train, blood, sweat, tears, and I've done it for so long, you know. And 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 some of these younger kids, hopefully, can do it for the length of time that I've been able to do it, and hopefully, they can keep winning, because the winning is when the respect comes from 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 across the aisle, from from the men, from from the guys who uh, who who make the millions and millions and millions of dollars in, in those crazy, crazy contracts. And I think, I think that, that that's one thing that we can do to improve and, and push that needle a little bit more towards an equitable form of, of, of payment. Um, and, and, and yeah, you know, the fame is something that has to, you have to deal with it. It's all part of the package. You can't ask to have one of the best jobs and, and do one of the best things in the world be the best in the world at it can't expect that without having some side effect without having some some things that maybe aren't the most fun you know getting getting interrupted in the airport or at dinner mid-bite during during dinner uh, you know can i have i don't mean to interrupt you but can i have an autograph and you know all that stuff is all part of it and and if you want if you want to grow your sport, if you want to grow the game, um, you got to take every bit that that the game gives you, and and you got to go with it. You know, it it, it frustrates me a lot when people, um, because it can be annoying uh, for sure, but it frustrates it frustrates me a lot when people, um, you know, turn away a fan or or get frustrated by uh, anybody recognizing what right. you do because I think what what we all do as pro athletes is inspire and entertain and entertain people and that's huge. It's important. 
But you also had this happen. I mean, not like you weren't famous a few years ago, but it's a different level of fame from this year and the last couple of years. But it happened in your mid-30s. If it had happened when you were 22, how do you handle it? I don't know. That's that's a tough one. Um, and I think, you know, when I was 24, we won the gold medal and me and all those old ladies, now that I'm old, I can say that they're old. Right. <laughs> they were retired. They retired, and um, I wasn't nearly, obviously, as famous as as Mia was. But I felt like, gosh, I need to make sure that I do something that I kind of keep grounding myself after every world championship. Because the more times you play for a country, the more famous you're going to get. And I just didn't want to get, I didn't want to get myself into a position where. I was looking at myself differently and I found that I was my, that I was famous. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel famous, you know, like yeah. if you knew like what my hair looks like when I wake up in the morning, like you would understand why I don't feel famous. Cause I don't look famous when I get out of bed in the morning. You know what I mean? Like that's what people don't get. Like pe- famous people are normal, you know, like we all, I mean, some of them aren't normal, by the way, but most most famous people, you know, they do normal stuff. You know, yeah. you, you wake up, you eat breakfast, you do things that every person on the planet does. And, and, and the fame is definitely a part of what we do for our sport. But if you're 20... Uh, does it, does, does it affect you differently? Probably, but I know myself and, um, I know that I wouldn't have had any different kind of level of effect. Um, I do know now that at 35, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about wanting to make sure that that 25 year old is getting the right kind of form of payment so that um, they can do whatever they want to do when they do choose to, to retire. And, and that's something that I'm, I'm getting and growing even more passionate about day every, day by day. Um, and, you know, come, come the last second I, I play tomorrow, um, I will be even more passionate about it because <laughs> my paycheck stopped coming from U.S. soccer. <laughs> right. Just for the, um, the math is pretty interesting. And this is something you've talked about publicly, but maybe, I'm sure a few people at least who have listened to this don't know the math. You guys won 15 million bucks as a team for winning the uh, World Cup in 2015. In the Men's World Cup in 2014, Germany won. They split up $575 million. So that is uh, 39 times as much. The runner-up team, Argentina, got $25 million. So there's there's two separate arguments going on here. One is that, um, you know, you're talking about pay equality just for the World Cup. And, it, it you know you could make a case to men's it's bigger. The ratings are better across the board or something that it should be higher. Or you can make the case your gold medal game in the U S was the most watched soccer game in the history of, of uh, televised soccer here and that it should be the same. My question is what, how does, how is it 39 times more? That seems insane. I was like shocked when I saw that, when you, when you guys hear that, what is your reaction? Well, Here's the thing. So, so ever since I, 
announced my retirement, I've been able to have really cool conversations, you being one of them, and and pick pick people's brains to try to really figure out what is really going on here and yeah. why there's such a disparity, not just in my my sport, but in other sports also and also in different industries. And there's just this like innate thing that I think is deep seated in all human beings that women are less than that women don't deserve to be treated fairly that women if are in a negotiation with their boss are seen as uh you know the bitch word and mm. uh, and if a man goes in and and says the exact same thing he's then a, ne- a great negotiator for himself and his family and i think that our, our society is pushing towards a place where we need to really start looking at each other as people and not uh, and, and not put each other in all of these boxes. And, and, and this equality thing doesn't just go from, for me, between men and women. This equality thing is in all. Now I'm talking about the big E here. I'm talking complete equality. I feel, and it's not because, you know, if you go down, down and cut it down to what, what, what the reasons really are that the men get paid way more than the women in, in soccer. Yeah. I understand logically the argument about uh, the ratings and, and the men and it's more global and whatever, but what people forget. And I think what people don't understand is that that doesn't mean that that's right. That doesn't mean it makes it right. You know, equality isn't something that actually costs anything. And I know we're talking about gender pay gap differences here, but to be treated fairly doesn't actually cost a single cent, not one person. To treat somebody humanely, to treat somebody fairly, to make a decision that lessens that gap payment and that gap difference, it wouldn't, it wouldn't cost anything. It would be just a decision. And I think that it's so, it's so, it's so funny to me because when you say those numbers, I I know they're staggering. And when you're in it, you don't want to fight too much against it because you're thankful for what you're getting. Right. You, know you don't I mean? want, you don't want to seem like that's the reason you're playing. Exactly. Because, and, and the reality is, is we do well for women's athletes. However, when you look across the aisle and you look at a JJ Watt and you look at an Aaron Rodgers and all these guys who are my friends, don't get me wrong. I love those guys and I'm a huge fan of what they do. They are getting so much money, and and I'm telling you, like, like they're that what what those guys make is even like crazier than what the 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 difference between the World Cup wins is like, like, like. I mean, people have no idea the difference between the men and women, and what what, what men and women earn. But and at the I, but at the same time, though. You're talking about soccer and tennis 
are the two sports like and it's and it shifted in women's tennis for for a while it was just insane especially because the women's tennis players in in a lot of cases were bigger draws than the men and with with you guys versus the the men's soccer in the last couple world cups it's really started to feel like it's even but then you look at something like the WNBA versus the NBA and it's hard to say that WNBA players should make as much as NBA players when NBA players are getting you know, 50 to a hundred times the attendance and merchandise, all that stuff. So how do you, like, how do you fix that? Totally agree. And, and, and the irony with that is, is, you know, the NBA owns the WNBA, right? You know, and, and I think that there's this, you know, you, there is no perfect fix. I have, I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not like a a professor that is going to fix this problem. Specifically, I think that this is going to take time. Do I believe that women deserve to be making more than they're making? Yes. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of women out there that, you know, the Women's Sports Foundation and even ESPNW, you know, they're trying to do their part. But I also think that they're prosthetic versions of what things really need to be. I want, I want to attach myself to something that is looks strong and and beautiful and powerful, you know, not just pinked and shrinked and 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 the that box checked. Like that's not my version of what I want to do in my next in my next life. I want complete equality, you know, and that includes men. I'm not saying I want to have a company or a business and a structure that only has women and empower women, you know, women need to help each other. And I know that women's soccer and tennis kind of trend set in certain ways, the, 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 the structure of how much we're, we get paid. But when you've been beaten down so long and you're in it, it's hard to, it's hard to really understand what your worth is, yeah. you know? And, and I think that that's, what's really important. You know, the WNBA players, they have to go overseas. To, to supplement their income for their off season. Well, wait, like, it's worse than that, even... though. I was going to ask you about that. So Tarasi, who's the U of basketball and the best WNBA player and the best women's basketball player of all time, leaves the WNBA last year because she can make like five times as much money in Russia. Yep, and that's and, it. And 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 that's and that's the re- their reality, you know. Um, and I'm I know Diana, and I think that that was a really hard choice for her because she wants to grow the game here. Yeah. But if you're being offered five times as much money in a different place, that's a hard, no, that's like a hard, that's a hard thing to turn away from. And, and, and I think that, you know, people get so focused on the money and it's not about the money. It's about the worth and what you feel internally, what your self worth is. And I think that that's, the more important thing. Well, you have, it seems like you have two different games going on here. One is the long range goal of gender equality for payments. But then the short term goal is just what's happening. Women's soccer is really effed up. And if the men's world cup, the winner of that gets 39 times as much as the women's world cup, that makes no sense. But that also speaks to some real problems with FIFA, um, which I'm sure is dominated by men, and they don't give a crap what the what the payment quality is, but also 
FIFA is the most screwed up organization we have. So of course they're going to screw this up. But I, it seems like to fix the the payment thing in soccer, you also have to fix FIFA. And God knows we've had way, way too much trouble trying to do that. Do we ever fix FIFA? How do we do that? That's a great question. And, and I think that, you know, I, I'm lucky in some ways in, in regards to FIFA, probably fairly unlucky because they know that I'm not scared of them. You know, we, we sued them before the World Cup this last year because, and it ended up being too late. We filed our lawsuit too late, and so they were going to slow play it, and it would have been a waste of our time to continue suing them. Right. Um, about the turf. Because, yeah, about the turf, because you know the the judgment wouldn't have come until after the, the after the World Cup ended. So whatever, you know, the the law firm we were working with, they just decided that it wouldn't be worth the time or effort. But wait, just quickly, you had somebody ready to replace the turf with grass before the World Cup, and they held it up and made it so that the timetable got screwed up and it wouldn't have been able to happen in time. Yeah, right? no, Scott's, yeah. Scott's was ready to give them free grass. Right. FIFA was, didn't have to pay for a thing. Not for one cent. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, we don't have this. And, you know, they make up every excuse. And whatever FIFA wants, FIFA does. And so for me, yeah, my long-term goals and equality and gender and whatever, diversity, those are big-time goals. But in the short term, there needs to be, especially right now, because there's a lot of reform going on in FIFA, and there's obviously a lot of corruption that we've seen that's taken place, which doesn't surprise me why things and why that needle has taken so long to kind of kind of tip towards the, even even get near the middle. Um Women this, haven't been involved. Women haven't been involved in some of these decision-making uh, positions. And, right. and that's okay on some level for 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. But now that women have been playing women's football for a long period of time professionally and that they can have a, a voice and they can have the education and they can go back to school when they're done playing or have the education and then play professionally, women are given and have more opportunity. So why not put them in positions, especially with an organization that has so many women participating in it from, from the ground up. Uh, it just, it just makes no sense to me. And, and, and clearly that's something that I'm passionate about. Well, you're um, also talking it's year 17, uh, in a month for the 99 world cup team. And, you know, that was the tipping point for women's soccer and that, launched so much momentum in so many different directions. And now you're talking about gener two generations now that were affected by that team. You have the generation that was any girl between six and 14 when that team was doing their thing. But now you have the generation after, like the, you talk about some of those 15 year olds in 1999 are now 32 and they might have a five or a six year old. So you know, it just feels like things should be different. The turf thing, just watching it from afar, not really, you know, just reading the stories and stuff was dumbfounding to me because I don't think people realize how hard turf is on your body. Like even my daughter's soccer team, they practice on turf when we had a parents versus kids game, you know, like one of the last practices for the holiday. And we mm -hmm. played them for like an hour and a half, which was great. I was taking out kids. You would have been proud of me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the next day, like my back hurt, my legs hurt, my knees hurt. 
not in a typical way. Like I'm in pretty good shape. And I was like, God, it's like playing on concrete. And the fact that they thought that was a good idea for you guys for the World Cup was insane. And then you see what happened last week in Hawaii. When did Rapino get hurt? Was that last week or two weeks ago? Yeah, that was last week when we were, when we were in Hawaii. As far as the field turf whole situation goes, the the worst part is not every field turf is the same. And, and, and that argument can be made for grass, which is fine. However, if the field turf has not been replaced in 10 years or seven years, you know, there's, there's a length of time that every field turf field needs to be replaced. It hasn't been replaced, then it's way more dangerous. The blades of grass are, are more matted into the into the actual turf. Stuff starts popping it, up. You get little dents. Yeah, I mean, it's just bad. You know, it's bad all around. And the worst part about it, and this is what frustrates me the most, is that you go to a high schooler and you ask her or him, what would you prefer to play on grass fields or field turf fields? And they're like, Oh, field turf fields. And I'm, my jaw drops. I'm like, Holy cow. Like how can that be the case? And it's because in high school, the grass fields are never taken care of. They don't, you know, nobody has, you know, no high school has the money to take care of their grass fields in a way that would be positive in a way that will make it flush and, and, and play well on. So the consistency of the field turf fields is actually more important and more reliable for some of these high schoolers. But as you get older, and for me, I just don't want that generation to want this field turf stuff because I think, you know, and I'm crazy in my mind and I'm not afraid to say what I feel. I think that in 10, 15, 20 years, it's going to take somebody to get cancer from some of these little black pellets some big time athlete to get cancer from some of these big, like the little black pellets that you find in these field turf fields for this issue to actually become more of an issue. Yeah. That's a, Um, that's a real, that's something I don't think a lot of people know about, but like if you're a parent who has kids playing on these fields, the pellets, everyone's done the whole Google deep dive on those pellets and how safe they are. And they come from tires and they might cause thing. And there's been a cancer cluster over here. And all of us have read all of those stories. And to be honest, I don't know what to think. And I don't know what's true and not true, you know? Yeah. Well, there's been a study in the the Northeast that uh, the UW coach, um, she's a women's soccer coach. There's been a bunch of cases of women's, of female goalkeepers that have been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and right. Cause they're diving, skidding, because getting scrapes. They're the ones that are diving. They're yeah. on the field, you know, they're closer to, to those, to those pellets. And, and it's just scary. It just is a scary thing. And, and, and the reality and the irony of the whole situation is that people think it's more cost effective. That's why they're doing it. And in fact, if you actually do the research and the data behind it, it's not, it's not more, it's not cheaper to have these field turfs to take care of because you need to actually take care of the field turf field. Problem is, is people aren't taking care of the field turf field. That's what makes them really dangerous. And, you know, grass is the way that soccer is meant to be played. The reason why I was so adamant about it before the world cup is that this is our senior tournament. We're not talking about a high school state championship game here. We're talking about the women's, the FIFA women's world cup championship being played on field turf. That to me, and I don't even care the fact that we won it on field turf, but the fact that we had to do that, that we were put in a position 
to play our major tournament, our biggest tournament on field turf is pathetic. It is actually pathetic. Well, this is why you and I have talked privately about this as you're trying to figure out, you know, your next move and stuff. I think you have a chance to to be what Barkley was to basketball in a lot of ways. Um, there's no soccer person out there in the media who who is really not afraid. Just will 100% let it fly, doesn't give shit. And with something like this turf thing, would just go the whole nine. Like if this was, if there was a basketball equivalent in basketball, Barkley would be the one that kind of grabbed the reins and really, really pushed it. And that's why I think, you know, I know you want to do a million different things, but I'm really hoping like, especially with Fox has all the tournaments coming up the next few years. Like I want you on that set. I think you have a chance to have a voice and a forum and the amount of eyeballs that are on those games. Um, I think that not only would be great for you, but it would just be great for people who like watching TV. Is that something you think you'd want to do? That's a great question. And, you know, we've talked privately about this before, but I I would love the opportunity because, um, man, I do like to talk and I am opinionated. You, you, um, everyone, everyone confirms that you like to talk. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um but I, I, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I'm going to be passionate about. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'll give it a try. I'm sure I'll, I will, I will figure out an avenue in which I can be and have a platform to stay in the game and, and talk about soccer and, and, and maybe some of the things that people don't really talk about. Um, and maybe I like it, maybe I don't, I'm not sure, but I'm, 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 I'm pretty open to anything right now. My aperture is really wide. I'm just trying to make sure that um, I'm not closing myself off to any idea or opportunity because, you know, I mean, in gosh, I can do an hour countdown. Um, I, I, I essentially lose my job. I'm I'm jobless. So right. if you know anybody that uh, is is looking for for somebody to to hire me, you know, I, give me some names. I might be one of those people. Um, <laughs> on TV, the best part about you is that you don't give a shit and you're going to let it fly. And that's what Barkley is like. But I do feel like there's going to be moments, whether you're doing a women's game or a men's game and they're coming to you at halftime and you don't like what you saw from somebody. And that little voice in your head is saying, Abby, don't hold back. Don't, don't say what you really want to say. And, and you're just going to say it. That's going to happen. I'm going to have to say it. I'm not, because here's the thing. And this is what this is what pissed me off so much over this World Cup. Some of the younger players, they were like, "God, like we're getting crushed in the media. Like they're killing us." And I'm like, <laughs> "They should be killing us. We haven't been playing well. Right. We haven't been scoring goals. Like we haven't been playing like we know we can. Like if you don't think that yourself, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. If you aren't your own worst critic, there is something really wrong with you. You shouldn't be in pro sports if you're not your worst critic." And for me, I've always been my worst quit- critic. So if anybody were to say something about me, I would be the first one to be like, you know what? I actually probably thought worse about myself in that in that position because I could have done X, Y, and Z better, whatever it is. And so if if any guy or girl feel like I'm, you know, abusing them in the media, if I've I'm, if I've been given that position, I don't care. And 
you know what? I'm also going to go toe to toe with with big big names like you, Bill. With big names like Alexi, like the, yeah, like with Ronaldo. Like if I disagree with some of their assessments of what's going on, you know, and I'm not going to try to positively spin it. I'm just going to say I don't believe I don't I don't agree with you. I think that I think that you're just trying to make a statement so that your voice is heard the loudest right now, and I don't care. Let's give it a test run right now. So the men's. <laughs> The men's national team, a little dissatisfying the last few months. If you could fix one thing about that team, what would it be? Oh, man. I would definitely fire Jurgen. Sorry, Sunil. Sorry, U.S. soccer. But I don't think that Jurgen and the litmus test on him has worked. Um, I think that... Why hasn't it worked? Well, I think that he's just... He's tried to change... Well, first of all, he hasn't really focused, I feel like... Uh, enough attention on the uh, the youth programs. Although he says he has, I don't think that he has. I don't agree either. And I also believe that the way that he has changed and brought in a bunch of these these foreign guys is just not something that uh, it's just not something that I believe in wholeheartedly. Um, you mean I like hired guns from other countries, basically? Exactly, and I don't believe in it. I don't believe it in my heart. That doesn't make you know this. Um, you know, and I love Jermaine Jones. I love watching him play, you know, but, and I love Fabian Johnson and he plays in, in Germany and is actually killing it right now after being sent home for faking an injury, quote unquote, faking an injury. But, you know, I just think that, I think that, that, that this experiment that, you know, soccer has given Jurgen um, isn't one that personally I'm into. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's got to be interesting for those guys to see their coach take off in a helicopter and fly home to his home mm. and then back to training. Can I be your agent? <laughs> I want to negotiate your Fox deal. <laughs> you um, want to negotiate my Fox deal. Is it, isn't good. the key to the U S isn't the key to the U S team speed? Isn't that our one best advantage? We're never going to beat these guys that were, you know, bouncing out of the womb and playing on dirt fields and some, I don't know, Brazil and Colombia, some of these countries. We're, we're never going to have kids at that level, but we have speed and we have athletes. Isn't that the secret for the men? Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Speed and athleticism helps soccer teams be better, helps soccer players be better. But I think what, that what you'll find over the next 15 years is that the more money that soccer players can make in this country, you, you're going to find our better athletes will be getting more involved in playing soccer. Um, right now, you know, NFL and NBA and Major League Baseball, our, our big major leagues are getting our best athletes because that's where the money is. Right, so, but the football, that's what's happening in football and youth football is going to help the soccer long term because I completely agree. My generation I think that of parents. There's a huge downturn in, yeah. in football with all the concussions and all that stuff. Yep. I, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that you will find all of the best athletes are going to start playing soccer because there's actual money, like real life money in it. And, and, and because of that, the speed, the strength, um, I just. We're the United States. We should be competitive no matter what. And and because we've taken so long to bring up some of these some of these studs that could play on the soccer team, um, you know, we need to we need to put more money into our youth programs and and really get some of those kids 
to be playing in positions and in, in, in ways much like you know Messi and Ronaldo, you know, and and you only find a few of those every generation. And and for our women's national team, our standard is so high, and it's been so high that that's the thing, that's the culture of this team, that's the environment, and and that's the environment that it needs to be with the men's team. But they don't have that. They don't they don't have that the mentality that every single day it's it's brutal every single day it's pushing yourself you know we won the 15 world cup but now we have the 16 olympics and it's like okay we we still have to be better and that's the only way you kind of grow as a as a a group of people and and grow the game and be the trend setting team of the game and and i know that that's what we you know take pride in as as a women's national team and i want and i want our men to win i'm i'm one of their biggest fans, you know, I'm the disappointed one when, when they don't win the, that last world cup or the one before, um, do I think that one day it's possible? Yeah. Like I, I dream of that for our men's team. I really do. But I also think it's a, it's an environment and, and it's also an ego drop. You know, when you get into those big time tournaments, people have to step up and, and play their part and play their role, but you also have to drop, drop egos. And there's just, there's just it seems to to me too many egos in our men's program right now, and I think the bigger the bigger ego of all of them is the one that's leading the charge. Fix uh fix concussions with youth soccer for me. Youth soccer and concussions. This is this is an interesting one because um, you know heading the soccer ball, uh, all the research points to the goal kicks right and. Um, that being probably the most head, the most impact that head takes uh, on the field. But the reality is it's head-to-head concussions. You know, it's not ball head. It's head-to-elbow. Right. Two kids going for a header at the same time. One of them does the header jerk with their head but misses the ball and headbutts the other kid. Exactly. You know, and that's where, and and that's what's happening. And so... I think that this concussion ban uh, was a knee-jerk reaction that U.S. soccer took um, for 10, 10 and under, and only in games can they can they head from 11 to 13. I mean, I, it, like in an instant, it created like a business for me. I was like, well, hold on a second. Like, we need to create a system where these kids are properly taught the the actual tech technique of heading. Because you're not going to get rid of heading. You, you just won't. It's part of the game. What you need to do is put some of these kids, younger kids especially, in an environment, in a controlled environment, with maybe a softer ball to teach them the proper technique and how to do it. So that when and if they do get themselves in a soccer game and a ball goes up in the air like it will, they will know, number one, how to head the ball. And number two, how to protect themselves when heading a soccer ball so that they're not getting that head to head contact or, or elbow to head contact. And the third and the most important thing, and this is what parents and all kids in the world need to remember your child. I get it. You want to protect them. Every person on the planet, we don't want to get hurt. We don't want our brains to have any concussions, but sports are sports. Doesn't mean that 
you need to put your kid in, an, in a harmful environment. Will my children ever play football? No, because I truly believe that that's putting them in too much of a harmful environment for my liking. However, do I think that soccer is a harmful environment in certain moments? Yeah, of course it is, but sports are. So you need to put your kids in environments where they're pushing themselves, they're outdoors, they can be physical, they can be active, they can be exercising. You know, concussion debate, it's just going to get worse. It's going to be it's going to be one thing or or the next thing, you know, like if it's concussions for this for this 10 years, fine. And and another 10 years it's going to be something else and and pretty soon we're going to be robots like walking around the streets with with padding on not wanting to touch each other because there's this fear or somebody sued you of getting injured and injured and for me that's just not that's not real life you know i want i want real life i want happy kids and and um you know i i've headed the ball quite a bit throughout my day and uh and 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 you know if in fact at 60 70 years old i get dementia you know what that's 60 70 years old and I've lived a pretty darn good life. I've loved everything that I've been able to do, um, and and I've traveled the world. So, you make decisions in life. You got to go with it. Well, all right, I agree with you. At the same time, I have a ten and a half year old daughter who plays soccer year round and is tall and loves heading the ball and loves being in a crowd and and still hasn't successfully pulled off a header in a game yet, but it's one of her goals. And she loves watching you and tries to emulate you in a lot of ways. Are we, could there be a concussion cap? Could there be a little hat? Wait, would, have you seen any technology that would maybe make it so that something absorbs the ball or is that impossible? What have people told you about that? Yeah, I mean, I work I work with a company called Triax, a little headband, or if you play a sport with, um, with a helmet, you have a skull cap that has a little sensor in the back of, this headband or the skull cap that measures head impact, and you can get you can get real time information um, on your smartphone that that tracks it. And I think that you know, obviously, the more technology as a professional athlete, the better. But when you're talking about concussions, and you actually have this little piece of technology with um, that 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 you can, as a parent on the sideline, look and be like, "Man, my kid just took a." a pretty big hit to the head yeah. and you can check it and it's over this threshold um, reading and you can pull your kid off and see, Hey, like, how are you doing? Right. You know, like what's going on? Um, check them out and, or have like your trainer or medical staff, check them out before you, before they go back into the game. Because oftentimes what happens is the concussion goes unnoticed. The concussion goes unseen and, and, um, and, and, the continuing to play after concussion is, right. is really when it's deal. fuzzy. We, we have the girls on my daughter's team. They kind of know, like if it gets fuzzy, if you hurt your head in some way and, it, and you don't feel total right, just tell us it's okay. We're not mad at you. And that's happened a couple of times and kids have come out. We had a kid sit out a game. Like they, they didn't feel just a hundred percent right. And that's when you got to be careful. We haven't seen a, like a bad concussion yet, but I do think the mouthpieces. Once they fade, there there is some sort of connection with the mouthpieces and preventing concussions too that I think is going to help. But 
I'm against the whole just banning banning headers until they're 14. That doesn't make sense to me because you have no, to teach kids how to do it. when they're 14 and they don't know what they're doing. Right. Stupid. I agree. So um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, this century, you've been out pretty much for, I don't know. I don't, I don't know when, when you, you answered questions about it and said, yeah, whatever. Um, you're the first athlete that I can think of that nobody even mentions this. And my question is, so you come in, you, become, you start to become famous as a soccer player. Was this in the back of your mind? Like, uh-oh, is this going to get out? What's going to happen? Who are my role models for this? But now it's like, almost seems like nobody cares. No, and I think because I don't care. Right. Like the thing that people don't know about me and, and, or maybe they do. And maybe that's why, you know, all guys want to like drink bourbon with me and all girls want to just like hang out and talk girl talk, which annoys me. Um, I think it's so important that like, for me, I just live my, my life. I'm not the person that's screaming on the rooftops about myself, you know? And so when I got married a couple of years ago in Hawaii and it ended up, get, ended up getting out and going on the whatever, you know, TMZ and USA Today, and they actually called our, our, our room the morning of, I remember being like, man, who cares? You know, like, this is my life. I don't have to answer any questions, you know? And the irony is I was asked two times before I had gotten married, that, you know, are you seeing somebody? And it was like, and I could tell what they were trying to ask. And the the actual answer during those two moments was, no, I actually was single. Yeah. So I was like, no, I'm, I'm actually single. And if I were to have been seeing somebody then, I would have said, yes, I'm, I'm seeing somebody. But the reality is, is it doesn't matter. You know, and people come out, and I think that that's great if that's what they feel like they need to do for themselves. But for me, I kind of thought it's more powerful just to be myself instead of um, come out. Because, you know, Ellen came out. Like, she she did it. Like, there there is nothing wrong with me for for having an orientation that is not the same as the most people on the planet. That is okay. And I am completely comfortable with myself. Like, I went through it in high school. I was like, oh, man, what is this? Like, what what are these feelings? Went through it in college, and you know what? I'm kind of one of those people that you like me or you hate me. And I don't give give a shit either way. You know, I'm going to be me. You mentioned your big family. Pretty much all of them are there for this last game, right? Yeah, they all are. They all are. They're flying down. What, what, um, where were you in the pecking order with your family, with brothers and sisters? I am the, the youngest. Right. So that was great yeah. for you, right? Because you're always chasing the older ones, trying to catch up, trying to catch up, trying to hang with the one that's three, four years older. And it feels like that's an athletic advantage in some weird way. For sure. And you know what? When you are the youngest, you get beaten up a little bit harder and your parents don't really pay as much attention to you, you know, as, as before. Um, and maybe the the eldest child or whatever. Uh, but the but for me, you know, having six older brothers and sisters who were all really athletic. You know, my 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 eldest sister Beth went to basketball and played played basketball at Harvard. Uh, and then my second eldest sister, she went to to Xavier and played soccer there. So 
I come from a pretty good um, soccer slash athletic family. My dad and you're just getting banged around as a little kid. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I actually just went to a soccer game the other day um, to watch my nieces play in Phoenix. It just happened that they had a game, and they're like, you know, five to seven, and they don't really know. They don't really know. Aunt Abby's like the famous soccer player. They just like know her as Aunt Abby, which is so fun. And and some of these kids are just it's just hysterical to sit on the sidelines and watch them play. And I'm they have a young they have the youngest child, Violet, who is just on the sidelines, not playing yet. But she just she's just way more fearless. You can just see that her fearlessness is just so much more pronounced than than the two older her two older siblings so um you know that's that was me and 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 for my mom to have been traveling all over rochester just getting us to baseball games and soccer games and basketball games i mean it was a full-time job for her and and in large you know she she really did give me the opportunity of of being a, a pro athlete for sure you know, it's funny they have like these fields in LA where there's 17 of those games going on at the same time with the five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-olds are on these little fields. And my daughter and I were there once, probably like two months ago, because she was getting a, she was had a, like a, a, a private thing, a one hour thing. So we were done and we went and we watched the games and I'm like, let's go watch these games. I'll be able to pick out the dominant kid within 10 seconds, each, each game we go to. So we would walk over. And there's always the one kid that's more aggressive and you could just tell and you could tell right away and that's it. And you'll watch for 10 minutes and that's the kid that's taken out everybody. But it seems like that's in there from when you're like five, like that's not something you develop after the fact you either have that or you don't. Totally. But, but my question that- is when, so what's the next level? Because I, you know, I see it now with my daughter, she's only 10 and a half, all these, every parent thinks their kid's going to go to college and play soccer, but really they, it's really hard to know until they're like 15 or 16, right? There's some sort of second leap that happens down the road. So when was that for you? Um, I, this is going to sound really, really weird, but <clears throat> I think that, that the first time that I played in a soccer game, my mom knew. Really? Yeah, she knew. Cause I so how old was that? I was five. I was five. <laughs> you know, and and she said... Just because, I mean, I've been I've been basically on a team my whole life, playing against my brothers up until this point, and you know, my first three soccer games, I scored twenty seven goals, <laughs> and so they were like, "Well, um, we're gonna have to put you on a different team, and maybe uh, at some point, switch you, you know, play you up a few years." Yeah. And, and they say nowadays, you know, like Malcolm Gladwell in his books. He says, you know, not to do that because you want to make sure that you're on the best teams and you get the best coaches and right. so that your 10,000 hours can be put to use in the best way. For me, I totally don't, for, for my lifestyle and, and, and my natural abilities that I was, that I was given and then compounding that with my brothers beating the hell out of me when I was a young kid and not letting me win and like kind of like creating this competitiveness inside of me, um, I knew fairly young that I, I was going to be 
a good athlete, you know, and, and, and I am fairly good athlete at almost everything that I do. I was going to say, you're one of the great female athletes of all time. So you might not be the greatest example for this whole analogy because you could have played and basketball, right? That I tell, this is, yeah, I did play basketball and now I'm getting into golf, which is a good thing to do when you get older. Yeah. But the thing that I tell parents is that here's the deal. There's like 1% or 2% of kids in the world that will become a professional athlete. There's like, and there's, there's a smaller percentage as well that are going to make it and become a scholarship athlete. So the reason why you want your kids to be involved in sports is because all the values in this stuff that, that it brings kids exactly, and the confidence that it can give kids and people throughout their life, you know, and, and learning what it's like to be on a team and how to deal with conflict and, all of those intangibles you don't get if your kid is just sitting in front of a TV playing video games. And don't get me wrong, I like myself some video games, but there's a time and a place for that. And getting your kids involved in sports and not pushing them to be anything other than what they want to be, that's the real thats the real challenge in parenting. Parents try to turn their kids into little versions of themselves, and that's just not real. Well, kids you, need to be versions of themselves, not versions of their parents. You you made the key point. You want to be on a team because you're learning how to be a teammate and you're learning how to fail. Like people think like you, you play sports because you're trying to win, you're trying to win the title, you're trying to get a scholarship, all that. But it's also good to fail every once in a while. My my daughter guessed it on a team last weekend and she missed a penalty kick, sailed it over the crossbar. Like it's actually not a bad thing for her to feel like crap for an hour about something because it's going to motivate her the next time. I think parents in my generation are really afraid to have their kids fail with anything. They're just trying to constantly protect and coddle them and prevent them from ever feeling bad about anything. And I don't know if that's a good way to raise people. No, I agree. And I think that failure have been, failure is the reason why I've gotten to be the person that I am. It's not even about the medals and the championships. Yeah. Failures are, are character building. And those are the things, those are the moments in life that you get to choose one way or the other, how you're going to deal with stuff. And you either choose to become a victim or you choose to power yourself. Okay. You know what? This didn't work. How can I make this better? How can I do better so that this never happens again? And guess what? You can tell your daughter, I missed a penalty kick in a World Cup game against Colombia this last last summer. What did I learn from that? Okay, we got another penalty kick in that game, and I punished myself. I'm the penalty kick taker on my team. I punished myself because I didn't follow through. So I gave it to Carly Lloyd. What happens after that? Carly Lloyd's confidence rises. Carly Lloyd has the tournament of her life, is going to probably become FIFA Player of the Year, has the most ridiculous final. And I'm not saying that that's because I gave her this penalty kick. Yeah, I'm saying that because I failed at doing something and and had the opportunity to go, oh no, woe is me, let me try this again. But in fact, what ended up happening was Carly was able to take that and use the confidence that she, she, she got from bearing that penalty kick to her advantage. And we win the World Cup in large part because of the way Carly played in the last few games. She turned into a so, maniac. It's crazy, you know, like uh, uh, things like that. You have to be able to let your kids fail because if you don't, they're going to make poor decisions and that's on the parents, you know? Yeah. Failure so big. 
I promise, well, not promise, I, I would bet that as you're thinking tomorrow's your last game, you think about the breadth of your career, the, the three or four failures that hurt the most are probably more poignant to you than, than the triumphs, right? The failures stick oh, in your craw more than anything. I would, I would, I would probably, I'd be safe to say that most successful people um, in life have that mentality. They don't think about, oh gosh, you know, like you do, like if you have confidence issues, you have a few things in your back pocket that you're like, okay, no, I'm good. But for the most part, most really driven successful people are thinking about those few moments that brought you to your knees and, and you weren't able to succeed and and you were embarrassed about you so know? what was your worst one um i would say not winning a state championship the 2007 embarrassment of getting crushed against brazil and then the aftermath with um with with hope and all of that went down yeah real just really embarrassing uh breaking my leg in 2008 not being able to go to to the olympics and my team in fact um winning winning gold without me um, and then, and then in 2011, um, not coming home with the world cup. Um, cause you thought you were way, after you got the miracle goal in 2011, you just assume yeah. you're, it's going to roll to the world cup and it's great. And you've, you, it's over. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, wow, well, well, here we go. Like this, this is, this is what it's supposed to be like, you know, it's supposed to feel like this where we are we're going to win and, and, and I'm having this amazing tournament and I'm going to get, get player of the tournament and be player of the year. And, um, we come in second and Sawa is player of the tournament and Sawa is player of the year. And, um, and you're in your prime at that point too, right? That's about as good as you can be. I'm 31 and, you know, a little bit older than prime. They say around 28. Tail end of the prime. prime. But, um, I'm, I'm, I'm playing some of my best soccer and, and um, it was in my mind what I felt like was our time, but clearly it wasn't. And uh, I took that pretty hard. I yeah. took that pretty, pretty hard. And 2012 um, ended up being one of my best years to date. So I so guess- triumphs, triumphs going in high school when, when uh, the penalty kicks, when they threw you in goal. That was a good one. I saw that in the SEC story about you. Yeah, that my was favorite a fun stories. one. That, I love I mean, that one. You just hit the ball straight at me, though. That's the, that's the irony of that. <laughs> yeah, that but you psyched the girl like, out. This, you were, you were like is... banging the goalpost trying to psych her <laughs> I out. I was, but, you know, the girl didn't move. It was freezing because I'm in upstate New York. Like, yeah, it's, just, it's a cool story to tell. Like, yeah, I say it was penalty kick in a Section 5 championship game. Um, but the reality is, is the girl was just, she was probably tight. She hadn't moved in this her spot for like who who knows how long it took me to get the jersey on and to try to stick around right. and whatnot you know what i watched that with my i don't know if i told you this story i watched that with my daughter and she loved that part so much it was like that her favorite thing she'd ever watched that they threw you in goal and you tried to psych the girl out and we watched that whole thing and she enjoyed it so much knowing that once upon a time you were basically her age because you know yeah. you guys reach a point and you become these mythic figures and it's sometimes when a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old realizes that you were this, she's the same age as you were at one point in your life, it's a big thing for them. And I, I remember I called uh, Connor, the guy I created 30 for 30 with, and I was like, this should just be a show. It should just be a show about how athletes became who they were because that was like the best part of that whole thing. 
And now it's a show called Becoming on a, a Disney XD. But it's basically that the principle behind it was you jumping into goal in that game. So <laughs> well, then you I didn't get any royalties. royalties yeah, you I should be getting royalties Listen, for this, though. This I'm is, not getting royalties yeah. either. So we both got screwed out of this whole thing. <laughs> well, I know Connor, and I'm going to have my agent call him. You should. And, you should and, get a cut. Get a hold of Skipper, and I'm pissed. <laughs> So what was the highlight was the goal in 2011 and then winning the World Cup, right? Those were the top two? Yeah, I would definitely College say, championship? Yeah, college championship was cool. 04 gold medal game, scoring to send my idols off into, into Never Never Land. And then um, definitely that Brazil goal, bringing soccer, women's soccer back to life in, in the U.S. And then, and then capping it off with an Olympic championship the year after, and then uh, the World Cup. I mean, this last year has just been insane. Um, I have it's, spent so few days in my own home and my own bed. If you had to do it over again, would you rather have won the the World Cup by the 15-to-1 score or whatever the final margin was, or would you rather have had more of a nail-biter? No, I wanted it to be hundred goals. to one Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, because, first of all, like not getting as many minutes, as I had in previous world championships, it is the most stressful thing sitting on the bench and having no control over the outcome. It's, 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 I think years were were taken off of my life this last summer because I, I, I was like so stressed. What were you doing? Were you sitting? Were you like doing the thing where you like jog in place? Were you sprinting? What were you, how were you sitting on the bench? And then, you know, every once in a while you got to get up and, and keep your body warm. If in fact somebody goes down with an injury, um, so I'm, I'm sitting and I'm, I'm obnoxious. I'll be, I'll be quite on, honest. I'm obnoxious on the bench. And there was a, a moment during the final that Sidney LaRue actually turned to me and, and was like, you know, we're up like four goals to nothing or something. And yeah. he's like, all right, enough, like stop screaming. And Japan scores. And I'm like, Jesus, this is not happening again because it's my state championship final game, my senior year, we were winning three to zero, yada, yada, yada. We oh, end up losing. It? And so yeah, yeah. the game is the game. So for me, as fast as we scored those goals, I believe that Japan is a, as good of a team as any in the world to be able to, to do to do the exact same thing. So um I'm 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 like mindful of that, you know, like I get sports. Sports are weird. They're not over until they ever are over. And I've been a part of some of those moments. So, you know, obnoxious, call me whatever you want. Um, I'm just glad Carly Lloyd was on my team that day. Last thing, and then I'll let you go and get ready for the last game of, of your career. Although you might play some celebrity soccer games and stuff like this isn't really the last game. It's your last competitive <laughs> U.S. soccer game. Um, can you just quickly for 30 seconds do your spiel for all the parents out there about how stupid it is to just have your kid play one sport? Oh, gosh. I would not. Okay, so your kid probably, here, here's here's the real the real dose of truth. Your kid probably won't play pro sports. Right. Sorry. Yeah. But what you're doing is you're teaching your kids valuable lessons, not just teamwork and all that stuff, but you're also teaching them how to be an athlete, how to do athletic things. And when they get older, if they've had more opportunity to be an athlete, to learn different kinds of sports, then they're going to have more opportunities to want to stay fit and be active and be healthy and go outside and get involved in, you know, whatever rec league games that, that you want to get involved in because you've learned those tools as a young kid. Now, for me, as a pro athlete, 
I was able to learn how to jump, how to rebound when I was playing basketball. And it's the only reason why I've scored so many goals with, with my head that I have. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, I believe wholeheartedly that kids need to play multiple sports, not only because it will help them in whatever sport they choose to play in soccer or whatever, in high school or in college or even beyond if they're lucky enough. But it's important to play multiple sports as a kid because kids were all ADD. Like you can't stick to one thing all year round. And guess what, parents? What those soccer clubs are doing out there in terms of making your kids sign up for a year-round process ka-ching, ka-ching. is just so that they can make money. Hello. <laughs> Be yeah. smart. Come play in our December tournament. Oh, here, send us a check. Yeah, exactly. I'm in. I, 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 you know, I, you know, I agree with you. When I took my daughter to uh, your practice in March with the U.S. team, and you guys were having a scrimmage, so there's 22 people on the field. Then there was like another five who weren't in the scrimmage, like you know, backups or whatever. A couple of people were injured, and I pointed to the five to my daughter, and I was like. Those see that girl over here? She's probably like the twenty fourth best American soccer pro in the world, and she's over there. Like that's how hard this is. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not going to become Abby Wambach. It's not happening. But you might have a chance to get in this game. Who knows? Odds are really against you. I mean, really against you. Yeah, I mean the air is thin yeah. up here in certain moments. Yes, and that's also something that you got to. So play a lot of sports. Yeah, play a lot of sports. Um, What'd you say? I said, play a lot of sports. Yeah, play a lot of sports. Don't stick to one. Rec league might be good for you when you get older. Yeah, (laughs) play some hoops, play some tennis. But there's going to be those percent kids, the small percentage of kids that do make it. And the air is thin and it is hard and it is brutal. You know, every single day you're pushing your body past limitations that you never thought possible. And that's what it takes. And it takes consistent commitment. And it takes a lot of hard work. You know, those those are just the ways of the world. And if you can get comfortable in that environment, you might have a chance. Are you going to cry tomorrow night? I don't know. I've been a wreck lately. I'm not going to lie. You're not afraid like, to cry every once in a while. No, I'm not afraid to cry for sure. Um, I am just, I like, late at night is when I, I lose my lose my stuff. I'm just. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I want to, I'm either going to cry or I'm going to like just be happy and and party afterwards. Fox Sports 1 8:30 p.m. tomorrow night. Abby Wambach's last game. One of the great female athletes in the history of this country. I will be watching. The Simmons family will be watching. This is not the last time you're coming on my podcast by the way. Okay, well when I create my podcast, you have to come on mine. Yes. You, I, I promise yeah. you. And if you create that podcast and I'm not involved, I'm never talking to you again. So, I, so I'll just come on the podcast and not say anything. Well, I'll, just I'll be give silent. you the royalty check. You're the I'll one that silent. gave me the idea. <laughs> I love you, Bill. Tell All right, everybody. Thanks, Abby. Good luck. All right, right bye bye. Bye.